John 14 and verse number 6. Jesus is speaking to Thomas and he said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Everybody say that with me. He said, I am the the truth and the life. One more time. The way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. I think Jesus repeats himself here another way. He said, I am the way, and you don't come to the Father but by me because I am the way. I am the way. If you had known me, you should have known my Father also. And from henceforth, now you don't understand the, the power of this statement because in the Old Testament, the Lord said, no, no man is going to see God and die. You can't see his face. He said, not only should you have known him, but from henceforth, you will know him and you have seen him. Philip is kind of caught in this conundrum of thinking. He's like, I think I know where you're going with this, but I've been raised in a tradition all my life that says I can't, I can't see him. He said, so then, Lord, show us the Father, and we'll be satisfied. King James said it sufficeth us. Show me the Father, and I'll be satisfied. Jesus said to Philip, have I been so long time with you, and yet... What's this question? He said, yet thou hast not known me? Philip, I've been with you and you haven't known me. He that hath seen me. Folks, this is not Pentecostal rhetoric. This is your Bible. He that hath seen me hath seen the Father. So how would you say then, show us the Father? Believe not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me. The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself. But the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Now, again, I don't want to go too, too deep in this, but I want to go back to verse 6. And this is where I want to draw our text from today. John 14 and 6. Jesus said unto Thomas, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father, but by me. I've come to preach to you in this house this morning. I have found the way. Hallelujah. I have found the way. And you may be seated in the precious name of Jesus. Um, there's something that modern Christianity forgets. And I've, I've got to uh, I've got to get where I'm going in a hurry. So I, I hope I don't I hope I don't leave you behind in a blur, but I I know where I'm going, so just try to lock in with me right here. And I want to tell you why I believe so strongly the way I do about the Scripture and why we preach the way we do in this church. And I want to tell you that modern Christianity has forgotten this, but I want to tell you that when Jesus used the word church, ecclesia, for the first time ever in the Scripture, in Matthew, he said, upon this rock I will build my church. It's the first time the word's ever used. I will build my ecclesia. This is God's government in the earth. God's church. I will establish and build my church. 
Now, I'm not being a smart aleck. I'm just asking you a question. Does anyone see an ES on the end of church? Does anyone see plural language in church? Did he say, we'll build our church as? Or did he say, I'll build? Come on, somebody. Y'all are preaching good. Did he say, we will build our church? He said, upon this rock, I will build my church. Not my church as. There's not a multiplicity. Modern religion forgets our roots don't run to Rome. Our roots don't run anywhere close to Rome. Our roots run to Jerusalem, the mother of us all. Our roots run to the day of Pentecost. You want to know church history? It started in the book of Acts, in the second chapter. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, I feel the Holy Ghost in here right now. I believe I feel a little bit about what they felt on that day right there. I want to tell you, there's only one church. And it's the church that's called by His name. It's the church that's filled with His Spirit. This is not me today trying to be exclusive. I want to tell you, there is only one church. That's what Jesus said. Upon this rock, I'll build my church. And here's the good part about it. If you're in that church, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. What are you saying, Pastor St. Clair? I'm saying I'd be scared to identify with any other church than the church. Because if it's not the church, then the gates of hell have access. He only promised one church that the gates of hell could not prevail against, and that was his church. I don't know how many of you have seen this, but I'm blown away. I... I'm a fan of laughter. I like to laugh a little bit. And uh, I really kind of thought it was a joke until I started research. Matter of fact, Tim, Tim Hawkins, the comedian, does a bit on atheist churches. You know it's a real thing. Atheist church. I'm like, what's the point? If you ever get a chance, go, go listen to Tim Hawkins sing the songs that they would sing in an atheist church. It's hilarious. He, he, he's very brilliant with it, but it's a, it's a church that celebrates there is no God. They actually come together and they sing and worship something. I'm like, I don't, I don't get it, but apparently it's a pretty lucrative business. You got churches of Scientology. I don't even have time to preach on all that. I'm telling you, I'm trying to stay as close to the surface as I can. And all of these people that are saying, oh, if you want to know the way to more peace, if you, oh, if you, Hollywood's telling us, you want satisfaction, you can find it within. Let me tell you, listen, I don't need what Hollywood's selling. I found the way. I don't need what the church of Scientology's selling. I found the way. I don't need what the church of atheism is selling. I have found the way. I have found the way. Now, I, I got to break this down for you. As I like to say, I, I want to break it down Gerber style so everybody can digest it. Listen, Jesus did not say I'm a way. Can I preach to you this morning? You haven't found a way. You have found the way. 
What are you saying, Pastor? If it's the way, there's no other way. If Jesus is the way, then there is no other way. We've got to resign ourselves and our heart to the fact you cannot be open-minded. You're not some closed-minded moron because you don't believe that Jesus is the way. He didn't say, I'm just the way. He said, I am the way. Am I preaching to anybody in here today that's found the way? I'm going to tell you the beauty of my story. You can testify the way you want to. But I'm glad that I didn't just find the way. I'm glad that the way found me. The Bible said that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I didn't just find the way. The way found me. He came looking for me. He came searching for me. He came in the pits of darkness and despair and came looking for me. There's nobody in here that knows what I'm talking about when I say he picked me up out of the miry clay and he set my feet on a solid rock and he established my going. I'm glad I found the way. I'm glad I found the way. My God, I feel like preaching in here this morning. Woo, I hope y'all turned that, that roast on low today. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. This is going to surprise you. I hope you got your seatbelts on. Jesus is not a long-haired, hippie-looking Anglo-Saxon. The Anglo-Saxon Jesus that has been promoted through the years... Those roots run straight to Rome. Please put your seatbelts on when I tell you this. It's going to shock you. Jesus was a Jewish rabbi. I thought he was a Baptist preacher. He was just a preacher that believed in baptism. He was a rabbi. So as he taught, Jesus taught some very powerful things. And if you'll hang around here for a little while and stay for a few weeks and a few months, we'll talk about the things that he taught because I believe what he said was valuable and important. And it's important to us today. You believe that? How many of you believe Jesus is the most relevant thing there is? Oh, I think we ought to make our church more relevant than preach more Jesus. I think we ought to preach something that's relevant to the world. Then preach Jesus. I'm not trying to get on a soapbox, but I feel the preacher in here. I want to tell you, I haven't come to preach on your personal health and well-being and going to the gym and drinking smoothies. I've come to preach about Jesus. My God. I've come to preach about Jesus. There's nothing more relevant than the cross. Well, I don't understand. I think the cross is too old. I, I, I don't really like it. It's not relevant to me. Listen to what I'm telling you. People don't like the cross because it speaks of death. Everybody wants the resurrection and nobody wants the suffering. 
Everybody wants to be resurrected, but nobody wants to talk about the crucifixion. I'm telling you, there is nothing more relevant than the message that I'm about to tell you. It does not matter how far from God you are today. It does not matter how many sins you've committed even this morning. I want you to know that the blood of Jesus is as powerful as it's ever been. You just don't know my story, Pastor. You don't know where I've been. You don't know the things I've done. You don't know the people I've done it with. You don't I'm still standing in the house of the Lord today. You know why you're here? Yeah, I'm here because somebody invited me. That may be true, but you're here because his mercy endureth forever. You're here today because he loved you enough to draw you by his spirit. You're here because he loves you. So when Jesus preached, Again, please don't let this blow your mind. Jesus never heard the Apostles' Creed. I know. Blows my mind. Do you know Jesus never one time preached from the Nicene Creed? I'm going to tell you something better than that. Not one single apostle was living when the Apostles' Creed was written. Uh, this church stands firmly on the Apostles' Creed. Okay, cool. I'm just going to stand on the way. Come on, somebody. I'm going to stand on the way. I want to know what the way taught. And what the way taught was what his apostles taught. Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And you don't come to God but by me. That's it. So, here's the value of where I'm going. When Jesus spake, he spake as a Jewish man. When he taught, he taught as a Jewish rabbi. And as he taught, the things that he would say, uh, even, for instance, I'll give you an example. Hanging on the cross when he's saying, uh, some say it's a prayer. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? See, who is he talking to? I'm going to tell you what he was doing. Go look in your Bible in the book of Psalms. Jesus was quoting scripture. He was quoting scripture. He was hanging on the cross quoting scripture. Why is that relevant to us? Because you need to understand in the darkest hours of your life, the word works. Jesus was literally quoting the Psalms instead of letting bitterness enter his mouth when they touched God have mercy I'm trying to help somebody right here they touched that to his mouth that 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 sponge to his mouth and it had bitter gall on it and when he tasted it the Bible said he tasted of it but then he refused it there's some things that life has given you that it's all right to taste because you understand that sometimes life makes you taste things that are unpleasant but Jesus said when I tasted it and realized it was bitterness I refused to let bitterness enter my mouth I don't care what they've done to me I don't care how wrong they've been to me I refuse to let bitterness enter my mouth well what did he do he stood on the word he quoted the word even in the darkest hour of his life the word will work my 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 so Jesus talks to people in ways that they understand now some of this you understand from the canon of the scripture, some of it you would have to look extra biblical. Some of it you would have to look Jewish history when I tell you this because the scripture doesn't fill in all the gaps. But it's very amazing to see the way Jesus taught. And we, we don't look at his Jewishness very often. 
We don't look at, at, at his roots very often because we're trying to look at what Christianity has made him. In other words, we see Jesus through the lens of Western Christianity. But the stories that Jesus told are amazing. The way that he spoke was amazing. In Luke 15, when he tells the three stories of the lost coin, the lost lamb, the lost boy, these stories, they say, historically, are as old as Abraham. These are, these are not new stories. Jesus starts telling the story about uh, the boy that leaves home, what we call the prodigal. Luke chapter 15, the prodigal that leaves home. It's a very powerful story, and if you understand Jewish history, then you understand every little boy that's over 13 years old that's standing there listening is probably rolling his eyes because he's heard this story a lot. This is one of those stories that whenever your mom gets mad at you, she says, you know about the boy that left home and what's going to happen to you if you don't shut your smart mouth. This is one of those stories, and I always knew she was serious when it was talking through teeth. Do you hear what I'm saying to you right now? That's when it got serious. When I heard my middle name through teeth, I was done. But this is one of those stories. And so the story is very powerful. The boy leaves home, spends all he has, comes to himself. And all the Jewish men are rolling their eyes because they're like, well, at least he's got that part. The little boy's like, oh, man, I'm so sick of my dad telling me this all the time. Because the Jewishness of the ending of the story, and you've, some of you have heard me preach this, is that when the boy came home, he came to himself and he comes home. And when he comes home and knocks on the door, his elder brother answers the door and says to him, Dad passed away. You've taken all you're going to get. You're out of the will. You're out of here. There's another way they would tell the story that when he knocked on the door, there was a man he didn't recognize. And he said, your father and your family are gone. They sold me the farm and now I live here. But Jesus is telling this Jewish story. And all of the rabbis and the Pharisees that are standing around, they're like, go get him, Jesus. We're starting to like you. Go get him. You tell them how disrespectful it is. You tell them, you tell them we're not going to disobey our parents. This is a culture of honor. And Jesus said, while the boy was yet a far way off, his father saw him. And he ran to him. Jesus ticks all of them off because it was a shame for Jewish men to run openly like that. He ticked them all off. The story should have said that the boy got cut out of the will and that's the way it's going to be. But the way said, well, yet he was a far way off. And he didn't have it all together. And he wasn't perfect. And his life was still a mess. And he hadn't had a shower. And he hadn't cleaned up. Still smelled like the pig pen, but he was on his way to his father's house. And his father said, I see my boys coming home. I'm going to run to him and embrace him and kiss him. What, 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 was, what was Jesus saying? Jesus was saying, I believe the law too. I believe tradition too. But I want to tell you, I'm introducing something into this timeline that you need to know something about. You used to have to do this through the blood of a lamb. But now by the blood of the lamb, I'm about to introduce mercy to you like you have never known before. So in his Jewishness, Jesus looks at Thomas and he says to him, I am the way the truth, and the life. 
I've rejoiced in this many years in my Gentile ways because it's still good teaching and preaching and I love it. Oh, yes, he's the way, the truth, and the life. But do you understand to a Jewish man this meant something completely different than what it means to you and I? We look at this and say, ooh, I am the way. Yes, thank God he's the way. Ooh, thank you, Lord Jesus. I am the truth. Oh, yes, there's only one truth. Jesus is the truth. He said, I am the life. Oh, that's right, life and life more abundantly. But to a Jewish man, this meant something completely different than to just say, yep, he's the way, the truth, and the life. When Jesus spoke these words, he was speaking to them language that they understood. It was language of the tabernacle. Somebody say the tabernacle. I know you're getting worried right now that in five minutes you're going to be snoring in Greek and dreaming in Hebrew, aren't you? Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. As he spoke this to them, more than likely in his Aramaic language, their eyes kind of perked up and looked at him funny. Because not too far away from them was a temple that was built in the likeness of the tabernacle. Now, why does this tabernacle have anything to do with us? That's Old Testament. Get out of there, Pastor. We don't want that. It's boring. Oh, I think you do. The Bible said that when Adam and Eve sinned, that God cast them out eastward. Woo! God have mercy. I want to preach so bad. I hear the tick-tock, tick-tock. The Bible said he cast them out eastward. Somebody say eastward. Well, there's something you need to know. When he cast them out eastward, the Bible said that he put two cherubim there to guard it. Where did he cast them out of? Out of the garden. What was in the garden? It was the tree of life, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Again, I don't have time to go super, super deep here, but it was the place where the presence of God dwelled. It was where the presence of God came. It is believed very strongly that the tabernacle was built in the likeness of the garden, in the shape. You had the presence of God in the middle. And then when they were cast out of the gate, it was as though they were passed through the outer court and cast out into the court of the Gentiles, if I could say it like that. And the Lord puts at the gate angels that said, you can't come back in here. So if they're cast out to the east, that means inside to the west would have been where the presence of God was. Are you following me? Y'all falling asleep on me yet? Everybody doing okay? So the Lord tells uh, Moses, and again, I wish I could dig this out for you today. But the Lord tells Moses, I want you to build this tabernacle. And he gives him specific details. All the way, I'm talking every joint, every miter, every skin, every, everything that was in there, every veil, everything. I want this covered in this, and I want that covered in that. And he goes through the whole deal, and he says, oh yeah, I want you to be sure of one thing always. That the gate is to the east, and the Holy of Holies is to the west. What Adam and Eve did, if you understand this likeness, is they stood on the outside of a gate, looking at the presence of God, saying, I wish we could. Close enough to see it, but too far away to be involved. I can't touch that. I can't reach that. I was cast eastward. I can't, I can't do it. And the Lord said, Mo, look here. I want you to set up this tabernacle. And I, I've got all this planned. He said, I want you to set it up. I want you to come in from the east way. I want you to keep your eyes on the west where my presence is. Now, there's going to be some distractions when you come in because there's going to be some smell here. This is the altar of sacrifice. This is the tough part. This is, oh, this is going to be very, very difficult. It's seasons of dying like this, Moses, that people are not going to like. This is the sacrificial place. This is where your animals start pulling back from you when you come to the gate because it's very difficult. It's hard. Yet it was David who said, I will enter his gates with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving? Have you smelled those gates? Do you know what's right inside there? Do you know that that altar stinks? 
Do you know that there's death there? Do you know that there's blood there? Do you understand it smells like singed hair? Do you know what's there? And David said, I'm going to enter the gates with thanksgiving. Why? Because David knew it took the sacrifice and the blood for me to even get close to the presence of God. David said, I'll take the dying if I can come in with thanksgiving. So he walks in, I will enter his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. We know David was a praiser. He embarrassed his wife. He embarrassed Michael. He, he embarrassed her to death. She said, oh, you're a fool. You made yourself look like an idiot. He said, you think this is something. I'll make myself more vile than this. That's what I want to tell people when they look at me and say, man, you guys are crazy. I ain't never seen churches that dance like you guys. You just wait till I get to heaven. Because when I get there, I'm not going to have any leg pain, knee pain, back pain. Come on, I sound like a Ben Gay commercial, don't I? Come on, you're not going. You're not going to have to rub anything on your lower back after a good camp meeting service. Praise God! I do it down here because it's dress rehearsal. So Jesus said, "I am the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life." Can I hurry? Get where I'm going? Y'all with me? I hadn't lost anybody. Come on, you good? When He said to them, "I am the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life." What he was saying to them is, I am the court. As you step in now, he said in John 10, he said, I am the door. So we know he's the gate too. He's the only way in. He told Genesis 6, there was only one door on that ark. It's only one way in. So we know he's the gate. We know he's the door. Blessed is he who stands at the gates. We know he's the gate. But he said, I'm not just the gate. I am the way. What's the way? I'm glad you asked. When you step through the gate... You are now standing in the way. Once you step into the way, the first thing you see is the altar of sacrifice. It's a bad place, but it has to happen. It's a reversal of Eden. It has to happen. So they're standing at death. They're standing at stink, stench, blood, horns of the altar. Man, I'd love to preach it. I love preaching that altar. The altar is so powerful. Why is it so powerful? Because it's where things die. But I want to tell you something about the altar. That it did not change, although the sizes changed in the temple. It did not change at all in this thought. That from the tabernacle to the temple, every other piece of furniture, including the Holy of Holies, could fit inside the altar of sacrifice. You can't have anything else in this tabernacle or this temple if you don't have an altar. You hear me, Pentecostals? We can never lose the altar in this church. Boy, they dance and shout. Yeah, but how's the altar? Man, you ought to see their children's program. Yeah, but can it fit in the altar? Everything we have in this church has got to be by the measure of the altar. You leave that altar. And great God Almighty, if you don't come to a lever, that lever was so powerful. I love to look at it in the temple. It's so big. They had to share had to share it, but in, in, in the tabernacle, in the temple, it was amazing. It was so large, Bishop, that there were, uh, there, there, there were three on each side all the way around. There were 12 oxen that they set the lever bowl on. It was different in the tabernacle, but, but the, the temple was so big. You had this large lever. They, it was like a sea. They called it a sea. It was so 
big, this great big bowl, and it sat on the back. But what's amazing about these 12 beasts, which 12 is powerful, represents 12 tribes of Israel. The weight of this is on them. It's in cardinal directions, north, south, east, and west, and the levers setting on them. This was the place that the high priest would come, and he would rinse the blood off of his hands after the sacrifice. It was a place of rinsing. But inside of that lever, it was polished so finely and so beautifully that it was like mirrored glass. It was brazen, but it was like mirrored glass. And so when this man leaves the altar of sacrifice and he looks in to wash his hands, he beholds himself. I'm trying to preach to somebody in here. Can I just be blunt this morning because I'm in a hurry? Can I? Y'all give me permission to be blunt. You still love me? Listen, if you go to hell, it's nobody's fault but what you see in that lever. Can I just be blunt enough to tell you there's nobody in this church that's big enough, bad enough, and brave enough to send you to hell. If you're not faithful to God, it's not my fault. It's not his fault. It's nobody else's fault. This is something I've got to get on me that when I look in that lever, I'm seeing God. I'm seeing me in here. I am the only thing that can keep me saved. I am the way. Somebody say the way. Oh, but he wasn't done with the way. Because it wasn't just the death and the cleansing. And I'm fixing to take you somewhere with this. It wasn't just the death and the cleansing. He said, but I am the way and I am the truth. Truth. When you walk in, you're walking to the west. Y'all staying with me, Lord, I don't want to lose you. You're walking into the west. Everybody say the west. So it's over here. I'm not preaching them because I like them more. I'm just facing west. Walk into the west. Directly in front of you, to the west, in front of the veil, is the altar of incense. To the south, on your left, is this beautiful candlestick. Seven, it's a menorah. To your right, to the north, is a table of shoe bread. So beautiful. John talks about it in Revelation. He said, I was standing there and I turned to look behind me and saw seven golden candlesticks. I know this don't matter to you, it's probably boring. But that just meant when he was in the presence of God, he was facing north. Because he said, I turned around behind me, that'd be to the south. He said, when I looked, there it was. They're always speaking in tabernacle language, you understand that? He turns around, he said, I looked to the south, and there it was, the seven gold candlesticks. And guess who was in the middle of it? He said, there he was. Jesus. Standing in the middle of the candlesticks. What the candlesticks represent? Revelation. Seven churches. Whew. What's the table of shoe bread? It's that word of God that sustains us. It's the preach word of God. It's reading the word of God. You know, you didn't eat bread with somebody unless it was well with you and them. I want to preach in this house so bad right now. Not badly preach. I just want to preach in a bad, you know. You didn't walk in there and just go to eating bread because you were hungry. You ate bread when it was well with you and God. And that bread was powerful. On that north wall, it was powerful. And then in the middle of that, to the west, right in front of the veil, you had that altar of incense. What's that? It's the prayers of the saints. Follow me. you got the church, the seven churches. you got the bread of life, and you've got the praise of the saints. You know what it is when you walk into that truth, into that room, Jesus said, I'm the truth. You know what happens when you walk into truth? He said, you're walking into the church. And if there's not truth in there, it's not my church. If a church isn't preaching truth, he can smell it. 
When you walk in here, there better be truth in the house. He said, when you walk in there, you're going to smell that fragrance of praise and prayer. You're going to see the bread that will sustain you in the sevenfold work of the Spirit of God. You got wisdom and power and might and understanding and knowledge and fear of the Lord. You got the sevenfold working of the Spirit of God. It's so powerful. They would fill that middle in the in, 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 in the menorah. They'd fill the middle, and there's three on each side. They'd fill that up, and it'd start to fill up on the outside all the way into the middle. And that's how it worked. Power, wisdom, understanding, knowledge, and it would begin to fill up. But the central thing of all of that was the light of God, the power of God. It was a power place that you walked in. Jesus said I am the way where the death and the washing happens but I'm also the truth that when you walk into this holy place there is life and there is sustaining power and there is joy and there is praise and I can touch. Hey I want to tell you today those boys knew what he was talking about when he said I am the way and I am the truth. Just beyond that. Beyond the veil. There was the Ark of the Covenant. We could go deep this morning, man. We could go deep. Oh, it's so powerful. I love the Ark of the Covenant. I pray that Ark. I love that Ark. Because if you were to lift that up, you'd see not only the, the cherubim on the top and the power and the gold, the, the gold that was there and the blood that was sprinkled on it. It was so powerful. But if you were to lift that lid, you'd look inside originally, and there was Aaron's budding rod. This is the miraculous power of God. There was a pot of manna. This is the provision of God. And then there was the tablets, which was the word of God. Oh, Man, if we had six or seven hours today, I'd preach to you about that. You're like, thank God you don't. Can I tell you, though, that when they went into captivity and the Ark of the Covenant was stolen, you know, when they got it back, the only thing that was left in there was the tablets. Isn't that amazing? Because the world always wants the provision, and they always want the miracles. But do you know that the children of Israel were not aware that the manna was missing and the budding rod was missing? You want to know why? There's a principle here for you. Because the miraculous power didn't come from the budding rod. It came from the power of the one that wrote the law. The manna did not come. Oh, God have mercy. It did not come because of something Moses did. It came because the writer of the law said, I'll be your God and you'll be my people. And the priesthood knew if you've got the word and you've got the commandment and you've got the law, the word is enough. The word is what produces miracles. The word is what produces provision. I believe that. We don't want all of Pentecost. We just want a form of godliness. You understand what I'm saying to you when I tell you the apostles spoke in tabernacle language? He said they have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof from such turn away. You know what they're looking at? I'm not trying to go deep on you here. But, it, but, but Paul was looking at something. He said this world has always wanted our miracles. And they've always wanted God's provision. But the people of the name that will buy into the word of God and say whatever I've got to do, I'm going to live by that word. He said when you've got the word, you've got the power of godliness. This was the holiest of holies. What was it? Somebody tell me. What was it that was guarding the gate of the Garden of Eden? Cherubims. What was it in the Holy of Holies that was standing guard over the mercy seat? Somebody want to guess? Do you see the big picture here? You can't mess up bad enough that God doesn't give us a chance. God have mercy. 
He is the way back to what sin stole from us. There's no way back to holiness. But then to get back to God, you got to come to Him. But you've got to come to that altar where death happens. You got to come to that lever where water and washing happens. You got to come into the church where the Holy Spirit is smelling and the incense is there. If you're going to get to the presence of God, why are you preaching this, Pastor? I'm so glad you asked on Sunday morning. These Pentecostals, all they ever do is preach Acts 2.38. Can I preach it to you and never even mention Then Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the mystery of your sins And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost I wouldn't mention it, I told you I wouldn't Somebody tell me Before the tabernacle was ever built And they came out of Egypt Did God let them stay in Egypt if they wanted to? Or did they have to leave in the Exodus If they were going to be his people? They had to leave. But what happened the night before they left? Anybody remember where the Passover started? There was death. Somebody say death. So at death, they walk out of Egypt. Then they get their back against the wall and they're standing at the Red Sea and their past is pursuing them. You will never, ever try to live for God that your past isn't pushing you. The devil doesn't ever want you to forget who you were. But when he starts talking to you about who you were, you need to remind him what he's going to be. Right now, he may be the accuser of the brethren, but one day he's going to be bound in a great chain. And he's going to be cast into the... Into the bottomless pit. I've come to tell somebody this morning, the devil does not get the final say over you. You don't get the final say. They walk out of Egypt. There's been death. They come to the Red Sea. The Bible said, you can read this in Hebrews if you want to read it. It's New Testament and Old Testament. God parted the waters. They walked across. What did he part? The red. What's the sea made of? Water. So they leave Egypt. They pass through the water. They get to the other side of the water. He said, I'll be into you as a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. But what I need you to do that have left Egypt and passed through the water is get under the cloud. It's in Hebrews. He said, the fathers of our faith, by repentance, they walked out of Egypt. In obedience, they passed through the water. See, I hadn't even quoted Acts 2.38, but once. They passed through the water. Who was it that brought them through that water? Was it Moses? What did he say that you're going to look back and say with a mighty hand? God brought us out. God? 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 God brought us out? This was God's plan? Who is God? Well, I'm glad you asked. Isaiah 9 and 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Somebody shout this. Mighty God, 
the everlasting Father and the Prince of Peace. Isaiah said 600 years before Jesus ever walked the earth, he said there's going to be a child born and his name, oh God have mercy, his name shall be Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God and the Everlasting Father and the Prince of Peace. How is it possible for him to be the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father and the child that's born, the son that's given? I can tell you the same way that he is the Lion of the tribe of Judah and he is the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. He is the Alpha and he is the Omega. He is the beginning and he is the ending. He is the first and he is the last. He's the one which was, the one which is, and the one that is to come. Revelation 1a, Almighty. The same way that he can be the way, the truth, and the life. I love that. As you're passing through, and I'm hurrying, I'm almost done. As you pass through the way. You come to the truth. If you go study that old tabernacle, it's powerful. It's all types of shadows. You got to look at it. Brother Woodcox, it's amazing. When you look at that center curtain that goes in to the truth, there were two posts on this side, two posts on this side, and one post in the middle by itself. Five. Somebody say five. five. Throw Isaiah 9 and 6 back up there for me. In Hebrew, we read from right to left. So let's just look at it from right to left. You're facing the west. Y'all standing at the, at, at, at the veil with me that goes in, not the holiest of holies, we're at the holy place going in to the church. Oh, God. How do I get in the church? I'm glad you asked. You're standing here, getting ready to walk into truth. Somebody say truth. truth. On the right. We start reading. His name shall be called. Go with me. What's the middle? Okay. How do I get in to the church? Wonderful. Counselor. The mighty God. The everlasting Father. And the Prince of Peace. Anybody in here know the name of the Father? Anybody in here know the name of the Son? How do you know that? Because the Son is given, the child is born, and His name. So they pass through the water. They get under the cloud. So he builds him a tabernacle. And I'm closing. He builds him a tabernacle. And he said, you got to come in. There's only one gate. How tall was it, Pastor? Well, it was pretty tall. You know, that old tabernacle, the wall of it was taller than any man. It was about seven and a half feet tall. Why was it so tall? Why does it even matter? Who cares? It's just details. Isn't it something that the Lord made the walls of the tabernacle just a little higher than the average man? Because there ain't no man that's going to walk by and just look at God's presence the way they want to. He said, I want that wall to be tall enough that you can't stand on your tippy toes or do anything by your own power to see. If you want to see what's going on in here, you got to come in through the gate. So we come through the gate and the first thing we have is... The first thing we had leaving Egypt, we've got death. Somebody want to tell me what's next? I'm having a blank here. It was a lever, but there, what was in that lever? Oh, that's right, because they had to pass through the... See, I'm, I'm not even quoting Acts 238 here. We've got repentance at death. Shatolu bahayendovosahayah. 
Whoo, I feel the Holy Ghost in here. And you've got water that you got to get washed in. You got to repent of your sins. And you got to be baptized in the water in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. He said, but then when you step into that next little room and you go past the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, the prince of peace, and you step in behind that veil, he said, it gets dark and the only light that's in here is the light of my spirit. Can I tell you that the new birth plan was not an afterthought in the mind of God. From the time he brought them out of Egypt until before that, he was the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world why do you Pentecostals believe that we've got to repent of our sins and be baptized in Jesus name and be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost it's because it's always been the plan of God well how about this I'll just be baptized any way I want to be baptized Ephesians 4 5 and 6 is going to hurt us on that Ephesians 4, 5, my glasses are dirty, can you help me with that? My God, y'all are preaching so good. That was just a little bit mumble. Can we get that together right now? There is. Y'all are preaching machines. One Lord. Jude said earnestly contend for the faith. Because there's only one faith. There's only one belief system. It's connected to the church that the gates of hell can't prevail against. There's one Lord and there's one faith. And there's one baptism. There's one God and Father of all. Who is above all. Who is through all. And who is in you all. Does it matter how I'm baptized? Oh, it matters how you're baptized. You can't just pass through the water any way you want to. Because you know when the Egyptians tried to get in that water, it swallowed them up horse and rider. you got to have the family name. If you're going to pass through the water, you got to have the family name. I was giving a Bible study the other day to somebody talking about baptism. They were struggling with the name. And I looked at them. I said, I'm going to tell you what, buddy. I said, i got a problem trying to marry a woman that don't want to take my name. I ain't about to marry a woman that's going to keep her name. I'm sorry. Some folks are doing that now. I'm just not big on it. I said, I'm not going to marry a woman that's not going to take my name. And Jesus feels the same way. He don't want a wife that's walking around without his name. If we're going to be the bride of Christ, we're going to be the bride because we've got his name. Anybody believe that this morning? How can I be saved? Did I just confess with my mouth and believe in my heart? You might find some folks would be ugly to you about that. And I want to tell you, you're on to something there. You've got to confess with your mouth. And you've got to believe in your heart. But in Acts chapter 19, I don't have time to read, but if you'll go home, write it down. Go home, read Acts 19. The apostle walks up to him and he said, Have you received the Holy Ghost? Since you believed. They said the Holy Ghost. We didn't even know that there was a Holy Ghost. 
He said, well, how were you baptized? They said, John baptized us. It was under John's baptism. He said, well, there's water right here. What doth hinder you? The Bible said that straightway they walked down into that water. And the Bible said that he baptized them in the name, somebody say the name, of the Lord Jesus. Why did he baptize him in the name of the Lord Jesus? Because Acts chapter 4 and verse number 12 said, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. i got to repent and walk out. You can stand. I've got to pass through the water and get my sins remitted. I got to be filled with the Holy Ghost. They walked out of Egypt, passed through the water, got under the cloud. If you're in this place today, I know I've preached long. I'm five minutes over. Your roast is burned. But if you have never given your life to God, Pastor, I, 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 I believe. I know you do, or you wouldn't be here today. Do you know you're believing? is as much Bible as I have my baptism is Bible. Do you know that? You must believe that he is. That he is a rewarder of them. Believing is as much uh, Bible as baptism. But it's not enough. I got to believe that he is. But he made a way for me. Folks, I don't know if you realize really the heaviness of what I've just said to you in this room. It's probably felt like some of you felt like you're drinking from a fire hose. But let me just break it down like this and tell you. The world wants you to believe that God's trying to get you to go to hell. The world wants you to believe that God is sending you to hell. Let, let me show you a different side of God. He's not standing up there damning everybody that does something wrong saying, hurry up, hurry. I'm going to kill you right now so you'll go to hell. No, I don't think you understand. He's not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance what are you saying pastor I'm saying I found the way so you're saying I don't, I don't have to be lost no you don't have to be lost you're saying I don't have to go to hell no no he made a way where there was no way sin cast us out of the garden to the east but the mercy seat was to the west isn't it funny that he said, I'll take your sins and cast them as far. Notice the language. The east is where you were thrown, is from the west. How far is that? Right here at the gate, there's a man who said, I am the way. If you want to come back, I've made a way. There's so much I could preach to you today. But I'm just inviting you today to meet the way. If you want to know Jesus, I feel the Holy Ghost. Let's bow our heads. God's moving on somebody's heart in this place right now. Uh, if you want to meet Jesus in a way you've never known him or met him today, I want to invite you. Listen, please, I'm pleading with you. Put your pride down today. Don't worry about what people are going to think about you or what people are going to say about you. Don't worry about all the things you don't know about God. Just come to Him to know and know that He's made the way. 
There's things you're going to learn about him as you go. There's holiness that he's going to draw you to that you may not understand yet, but you got to get to love him and know him. These altars are open today. If you've never been baptized in Jesus' name, we've got water in this house today. If you've never been filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, you can be filled today. Come on, church. Hallelujah.